I don't know what to do with my life. Have you um, tried reading in the scriptures? I'm just not sure who on earth I can vote for. Oh, what have your morning Bible readings been saying to you recently? I'm not sure if I should be in this relationship. What's the scripture reading at your bedside speaking into your life? Oh, it's just so confusing. Everyone's got their own opinion, and I just don't know what's right from wrong. Well, if only someone had given you some mechanism of working that out. It's funny, isn't it, the uh, way that we relate to, or rather don't relate to, this extraordinary book. Have a quick look down at page 1222, and you'll see the claims the scripture makes about itself. Verse 19, it is completely reliable. To what extent is it not reliable? According to this, 0%. And what would you do well to? You'd do well to pay attention to it. Why? Because it's like you're stumbling in the dark and then someone turns the lights on. It's that important. And you must understand that it's not just twaddle. It's not just what someone wrote down making it up. No prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. Prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets through the human spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Amazing claim, isn't it? Now, let's uh, own up to the problem right away at the beginning of this. There are all sorts of, let's call them nitwits, is that a reasonably gracious word? <laughs> Out there, who take this book and say the most awful things on the basis of it. There are people who have justified almost every nasty activity under the sun on the basis of these words in here. So it is clear that one, what one cannot do is just pick it up and go, it says, and then hammer someone else using the words in here. Remember, if you remember your history or remember back to the time of King Henry VIII and how he was desperately trying to find an outlook within the scripture to get rid of one wife so he could get another more fertile one and search the scriptures for a way out because he married his brother's wife. Maybe that wasn't God's will. Now, this surely isn't what St. Peter is trying to urge on his people. He's not saying, I want you to just take scripture and use it to bang other people's head over. But because of that question in our heart, we mustn't miss the full force of what he is saying. It is of God. It is a light. It illuminates your path. It is incredible. It is completely reliable. And it's easy with the questions that we have to forget the most important fact that Scripture is given to us by God. As uh, St. Uh, Paul puts it, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's breathed out by the Lord. 
Now, sometimes the contrast is made between the Christian Bible and the Islamic Quran. And the point is well made that the Christian Bible is not comparable to the Quran in Christian thought. Why? Because what we have is something higher than Scripture to put our trust in. What is it? It's what the middle paragraph is talking about. We didn't follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The center point of Christian thought is not the book, but who the book points to. Our true and living word is Jesus Christ, but he's testified to by his written word, which is not cleverly devised stories, uh, but what was uh, faithfully recorded by his disciples here. And Peter wants them to be absolutely clear from the first paragraph we looked at, that if they're going to carry on after he's gone, it's going to be solely on the basis of truth that they're going to survive. They're going to need to bed down into real truth not just feelings, not just how they're happy or not, not just their charismatic moments and encounters, but onto truth. And where are they going to find truth after the age of the apostolic era? They're going to need to get back into uh, what Peter and others have written and what's already been laid out for them in what we now call the Old Testament. All scripture is God-breathed. No prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. Prophecy never had its origins in human will, but prophets through humans spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, many, many things for us to begin to think about. Who's ever tried to read the Bible in one year? Have you, have you ever tried to do that? And uh, got to somewhere in the middle of February, um, or maybe the middle of January, and started tearing your hair out going, is this really a pattern for me to live by? Do you want me to be like Abraham and pass my wife off as my sister in case someone tries to kill me to get her because she's so good looking? It might be something I need to bear in mind. I'm not sure. <laughs> is that supposed to be a pattern for me? When it says in the Psalms, the earth is a footstool and heaven is God's throne. Does that mean that I'm supposed to imagine a very big God with long legs uh, putting his foot on the earth and juggling the moon like a football goalkeeper. <laughs> of course not. The scripture, to be interpreted well, needs to be interpreted with its author, its divine author, the Holy Spirit. And as we pray and look into the scripture prayer and say, God, what does this mean? It is amazing how much he can illuminate the scripture to you today. There's a very well-known quote that says, it's not the bits of the Bible I don't understand that give me problems. <laughs> it's the bits I do understand. You know, love your neighbor. Do not commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't hate someone. They're quite tough things, aren't they? They're not hard to understand either. It's not the bits I don't understand that give me problems. But there are bits that you come to and you're like, really? And when it says that they have their origin uh, not in human will, but in the will of God, you then go, okay, well, Lord, show me what you wanted to say. Or, or you don't. And you do what uh, many of my lecturers at university did, which was decide that they could decide what should have been said instead. 
You know, there's two, two approaches to reading the Bible, fundamentally. One is one that says, God, I, I trust that this is of you. Please would you reveal to me what on earth you were thinking of with the flood, or with the conquest of Canaan, or with that horrific story in the middle of it. Help me to understand how it fits together and what you were trying to reveal in your big scheme of things. And the other approach is, I'm right, they were wrong. And I'm going to tell you exactly why I'm right and they were wrong. Now, the problem with the second approach is it's exactly what we've been trained to do in 21st century educational philosophy. Uh, from my age and uh, younger, very little emphasis put on, um, on particular learning, much more emphasis put on critiquing. We're the age of the hermeneutic of suspicion. Have you heard that phrase? Classic postmodernism. Everything we should be suspicious of. And it's reasonable, isn't it, when you read through the newspapers to think suspicion seems to have a great validity. And my own brother has set up a charity called Full Fact. You'll see him in the papers and on uh, radio most, most days over the next five weeks because he's, his job is to say the emperor's got no clothes on whenever someone comes up with absolute rubbish, which, of course, is happening on an hourly basis at the moment in all of our political parties. And so a hermeneutic of suspicion in some ways defends us and we're very used to it. I'm right, they're wrong. The problem is, though, there's a limitation on the size of my capacity and my brain to interpret and describe the world around me. You may see yourself as averagely to, to moderately to very bright. But compared to the brightest person who ever lived, good chance that you and I are both minnows in the Great Blue Sea. How can we describe adequately the Great Blue Sea when we're a minnow? Even if we happen to be a whale, how can we describe the Great Blue Sea? Of course, we're limited, aren't we? Some of you would have heard me from time to time tell a story of a, of a computer game designer who makes a box, um, and it's sort of a, you know, an electronic box, and into it he puts characters in the game and lets them get on with their life. And uh, then he says, I'm going to come and join into the game through some magical process that you get in fiction. Descends into the game and, uh, and tells them, this is what it's like on the outside of the game. And they hate him for it. They say, no, that's not our experience. That's not what we've observed. That's not what we empathize. That's not what we intuit. How can you say there's something out there? The minnows not wanting to let someone from outside describe the territory they believe they've been swimming in. And God says, look, I made you, I created you, I can define you, I can speak to you. I am a communicating God, I am the word. And I speak through my living word. If you would humble yourself to the point where you go, Lord, please speak to me. Help me to understand what you're saying. And it's amazing what you can learn. And the science of this, in Christian thought, we call uh, a long word beginning with H called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics, I don't know if you've ever heard that word. It basically means, how do you read a text without becoming a, a nitwit uh, as you read it? So when it says that the earth is my, my, my footstool, um, what sort of literature is that? Is that a scientific description, or is it a piece of poetry? Like, oh, it's a piece of poetry. Therefore, 
I interpret it differently. When it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Are we to imagine that around Turnham Green today we'll be walking God with a rod and a staff? Of course not. Intuitively, you're all theologians. You interpret hermeneutically all the time. That's one of the things, what sort of literature it is. The second thing that is of incredible importance is at what part in the story does this text come? And to put it really simply, does it come before Jesus or after Jesus? And does it come before the fall or after the fall? In Christian thought, the world got messed up with your sin and my sin in our great ancestors, Adam and Eve. And ever since then, there's been a curse on us, which is gradually being got right through all of the wonderful revelations to people like Noah and Abraham and Moses and so forth. But only really gets a massive kick change when Jesus comes and then when he pours out his Holy Spirit on us. And everything begins to change from there. So is this an old covenant thing or a new covenant thing? And a third filter is, if I was to read it through the lens of something Jesus said, how would that help me interpret what I'm reading now? So when one of the Psalms says, I wish that you would dash the children of my enemies' heads on the rocks, <laughs> what do you do with that? Do you go, this is a horrific book of terror, I'm going to tear it up? Or do you look at what Jesus says about loving your enemies and go, crikey, the Psalmist expresses very ably the emotions that people can get to in extreme circumstances. Imagine that we were again in the Blitz era and then invaded and horrific things were happening to us on the nation. Wouldn't your emotions want to cry out, if only some justice would come, if only someone would defeat my enemies and crush them the way that we've been crushed? That's a real emotion and God lets us express real lament to him. But when we refilter it through love your enemies, and when we refilter it through all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we then have to go, that's my real emotion, Lord. But help me to forgive. Because there, for, but for the grace of God, go I. I'm as wicked as they are. And if I were judged, I would be under the same microscope as well. You see? And it fit through the filter of what Jesus' words are. Where does it fit through the New Testament? What type of literature is it? And say, God, please speak to me through this incredible book, the Bible. None of it, none of it, according to this, is less than completely reliable. But we can be less than completely reliable in how we read and interpret <laughs> and examine. The biggest mistake we can make is the hermeneutic of suspicion when it comes to scripture. I'm right, God's wrong. Because <laughs> there's not much God can do with a proud person. He resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. I remember struggling through theology in my early years as an undergraduate. And at one point going to God, why is it? that I feel like the insights I had before I started reading some of this stuff seem to have dried up. And just remembering those wonderful words of Jesus, unless you come like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. 
the greatest theologian of uh, the last century, possibly, arguably, was a German man called Karl Barth. And allegedly, uh, it may not be literally true, at the end of his life, having written libraries of books, he said these words when asked, what is the scripture all about? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. If you were to come back tonight, you'll hear uh, one of our very youngest preachers preaching her, her first sermon here this evening. It's going to be a lovely occasion. And she describes in her talk how she was invited to lead a Bible study in her small group one week and realized she'd never really read the Bible. But because she had to read the study, she started reading it. And in her talk, you'll, you'll hear her say, it just came alive to me when I started reading it. If you look into our Beacon magazine, uh, you'll read a member of this uh, service saying, on Ash Wednesday two years ago, you challenged us to put something in for Lent. And I heard the Lord say to me, read the Bible. And I said, when? When am I going to have time to do that? And the Lord said to me, cut out the TV. <laughs> so I read the whole Bible. <laughs> There's someone in the room. Uh, now, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. Today, let's let it motivate, capture us change us, transform us, and if you need help learning how to interpret it, please, 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 come and join a small group so that those who are a little bit more experienced can help you. But remember, God resists the proud. He does. Every time. But gives grace to the humble. May God bless his word to us today. Amen.